1: Hello and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandi Stark. And on this episode, I am at the home of Erin Greenwood and her pets. And we are going to talk about her book, Your Robot Dog Will Die. She has also written some articles on animal cemeteries. And then we'll pick a brain a little bit about any animal ghost stories that she's heard. So we'll get started with that right after these messages.
0: Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com
1: And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. I am here with Erin Greenwood and any noise in the background you hear is her puppy who is... This is Murray who is very upset about people outside in the lawn. (laughs) Sorry about that. <laughs> I think they're used to, I've heard some of my own recordings and the pugs are in the background. So, so you now have a different animal to listen to,
2: which is great. He's got a lot in his mind.
1: <laughs> it's all good. So you are the author of a book called? Your Robot Dog Will Die. Which is a really fascinating book. And I know uh, you spoke to my U.S. St. Pete Lit Glass about this book. And what is it about Exactly.
2: Your Robot Dog Will Die is a novel, a young adult novel, that's set at a dog sanctuary in Florida that's home to the last living dogs on Earth, plus some cutting-edge robot dogs, and then a community of people who are there to take care of them.
1: And that actually brings up a great question as to what happens to these robot dogs after they die, but that's a different podcast for a different day. But what got you inspired for this topic
2: You know, there were a whole bunch of things that came together that got me interested in writing this book. One was I had read all these articles about Buddhist monks who were holding funerals for robot dogs. And I found this just profoundly moving. The idea that that these mechanical things had captured us deeply enough that, that we wanted to hold these kinds of rituals for them. And I understand it. And I also find it, you know, to be part of this sort of complicated relationship that we have with technology. So there was that. And also, I had been working at that point for a while as an animal welfare journalist. I was the animal welfare editor at the Huffington Post. And so I had gotten just really deeply involved with and completely fascinated by the worlds of animal sheltering and animal rescue and the people who just give their whole lives to protect animals. And so I wanted to sort of pay tribute to them. And then on top of that, I just love animal sanctuaries. And when you're writing a book, you get to live sort of in your head in in a new setting in this world that you create for a year, however long it takes to write the book. And I just wanted to live in an animal sanctuary for a while. So I decided to set a book there.
1: You read a little bit of an excerpt for us and it has some really interesting, and it kind of starts on a sad note with the idea that these prototypes essentially are tested by their human mm-hmm. caretakers for about a year and then they're, they're shut down. I don't know the rest of the book, so no spoilers, <laughs> but it's kind of a I think that's kind of an interesting idea because, of course, people already have difficulties with letting go of their animals yeah. even now.
2: Oh, so it's um, awful. It's the worst part of having animals, it's having to let them go.
1: It is. It is. I mean, the nice thing is you do get all those years yeah. of love, but I think with a, a robot dog, particularly with one year, that can be pretty tough. I mean, I understand it because I, as you know, I have pocket pets and pocket <laughs> pets are notoriously yeah. short lived just yeah. because in the wild, for example, the rats are about nine months and when you have domestic, they live two years. Mm-hmm. So you've doubled their lifespan. Now, I've had some make it to about three and a half, but you know, it's still kind of this very quick turnaround. So, and that took some adjusting,
2: Yeah,
1: but, but I think what was really neat is that in the time that they're here, they're so happy, mm-hmm. you know? And so do you find that kind of played a, a part in your book?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I do feel like I like one of the great gifts that we have is to be able to give animals good lives while while we get to do it. I hadn't thought about it quite like that, but I think that's a really lovely way to, to think about it. That you know, that part of our job as the humans in their lives
1: is to make sure that they enjoy those lives. All my pets right now are a little disgruntled at home because today was cleaning day. But but they have a nice clean cage. How dare so. you sweep up there? <laughs> they just got it they right, and then I can take it all <laughs> apart again. <Brandy. laughs> yes, yes, and even the turtle gets a soaking uh, uh-huh. every four days. You're supposed to kind of so she's mad at me too. Oh, no. <laughs> so, How do you it's... win her back after she gets mad? I, they're kind of little cranky old people, so yeah. you just kind of wait them out. All right, right.
2: And take them outside with food. the sun.
1: Yeah, right. it works out. So you have a really strong connection with animals, which I think is pretty interesting. When did you start as an animal advocacy? When did that play in in your life?
2: I don't know that I can pinpoint it to just one time. I mean, I, I always say I was the little kid who was like jumping out of her stroller to try to, you know, pet all the dogs. I mean, I've just been crazy about animals my whole life. So much so that I became a vegetarian when I was just six years old. I mean, that was, you know, it was like a really primal sort of a thing in me that I just loved them. When did I become an animal advocate? I don't know when that would be. When I was in law school, I used to be a lawyer. And in law school, I adopted a pitbull, And she sort of opened my eyes up to sort of the, the discrimination that pit bulls face, the laws that ban pit bulls, the way that people treat pitbulls, bulls, the way that they are afraid of them or you know, impute characteristics to them that that aren't there. And that started getting me more interested in kind of that side of things. I don't know exactly when I became an advocate. I mean, I'd like to think always. (laughs) But professionally, I started writing a lot about animals. I mean, I I had written some about animals sort of for a very long time. And then at the Huffington Post, I became the animal lover editor, I believe in 2012. Okay, So that was sort of the first time that it was in my job title, you know, stand up for animals. But I, I don't know, I'd like to think that it had been going on for longer than that. Just, you know. As in my life, right. Well, yeah. and that's
1: because we all play a part, yeah. Right. And actually, what you described about pit bulls is pretty interesting because I had one grandmother that had Dobermans, yeah. Right. You know, and they were another one. Yeah. And I have a friend that does yeah. Rottweiler yeah. rescue. That's hard to say. Yeah. And it's kind of that same you know yeah. issue where they have such prejudice against yeah. them. Yeah.
2: Well, and there there's prejudice against them. People make all kinds of assumptions about them. Make all kinds of assumptions about the people who live with them and love mm-hmm. them. And then there's laws that ban them. Place. dobermans and rotties are two other types Mm -hmm. of dogs that get banned places or get regulated by by what we call breed specific legislation then you know on top of that there's what we call private law so you know there's apartments that won't rent to people who have these types of dogs Mm -hmm. there's you know hoas that refuse to let people have these kinds of dogs and it's all frankly just nonsense i mean there's there's No difference between these dogs and any other types of animal.
1: It almost sounds like what we talk about in paranormal investigation with the psychological stigma. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, if a property has a history of a death, Mm -hmm. then that property becomes stigmatized. And so it sounds like that's happened to the breeds as well.
2: Yeah, very much so.
1: Yeah. interesting. I know my grandmother had a, her last Doberman was named Ashley. She had show Dobies actually. It's oh, adorable. Oh yeah. And she loved Ashley so much that she just, she couldn't even bear to, cause you know, they have their ear clip yeah. and she couldn't do it. Oh, so really? she had these big floppy yeah. ears. She didn't look like a Doberman. I think that kind of threw people off, yeah. but her last one, she just, she just couldn't do it. And she loved Ashley. And that, that Dobie looked to be like 15. Oh, it was incredible.
2: Really nice. so, I love when I see Dobies whose ears aren't clipped and their tails are long. I mean, it it makes me happy to see people let them be Sort of the dogs they were born to be.
1: That's it, you yeah. know, and I think by the time she got towards the end, I mean, there was no, there were no more shows or right. anything. And that was kind of a, I think she had two that, that were really truly show quality at that yeah. point. And then that was about it. I know the pugs, pugs are not show dogs. Right. <laughs> they, they are, they are what they are, and you just go with it, right? right? So there, it's a household of four year olds, and it's fine. <laughs> but it was kind of interesting just to, to see that dichotomy. So now, with your experience, I thought it was really interesting because you mentioned animal cemeteries, mm-hmm. and that's why I was like, Oh, I got to get her on this podcast. <laughs> so, I know you did an article about animal cemeteries. What can you tell us about those?
2: Oh, gosh, I you know, this article that I wrote, I think it was back in 2012, it was a long time ago that I wrote this, and it was when there's still it was about a place in Maryland called Rest Haven Memorial Gardens that had just opened up a cemetery where people and their pets could be buried together. You know, it wasn't a separate pet cemetery. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't somebody sneaking in some ashes of a beloved pet. But it was actually set up so that pets and people could share a plot together. And I thought it was just this beautiful kind of tribute to the role that animals play in our lives. You know, they're they're beloved family members. And this this is another way of recognizing that. So back when I wrote this article, there were hardly any places where you could do this. I mean, it was a real novelty having this kind of a cemetery being set up. Since then, as I understand it, it's become a little bit more common. New York subsequently passed a law that actually allows people to be buried with animals. I think it's still banned in many states, but, you know, more cemeteries are starting to open where you can do this. And, Again, I really just think it's one more kind of acknowledgement of just how much we love our pets.
1: It is. I know my mother has everything set up for uh, cremation and she's got a chamber actually picked, you know, that <laughs> she's paid for it at her church, but she has had special pubs over the years. and. Mm-hmm. Both of us have done pug rescue, so we've always had a grumble, each one of us, you know, so it, it's grumble. like, no, it is pug city. So pugs are so special, they have their own dialogue. Yeah. They actually, we have, they're not puppies, they're puglets, I'm not making oh, it up, they're actual. really turns. adorable. If you really want some fun, check out the Order of the Pug from the 17th century, because the, the Freemasons were outlawed by the Pope, so a group came together and said, well, if we can't be Freemasons, we're going to have the Order of the Pug, and they actually wore, and I'm... I'm Dead serious, they wore dog collars oh and they scratched at the door to be like, yeah, I'm not, not kidding. I'm going to go Google that as yeah. soon as we're done with this podcast. It is one of the most fascinating things. Uh, but anyway, but because we kind of had these pugs in mass, what I always find really interesting is the really special ones. Yeah. Of course, she's had cremated and she keeps her remains. And I have instructions that when her time comes, when she's cremated, she wants ashes from these pugs buried with her. Yeah. And even if I have to sneak that in, I'm going right. to do it. I don't think the church will care. But, but it was, it was really wild. And, you know, it's kind of neat when you do get that ability to take your pugs or your pets or yeah. somebody special with you. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you want your companion with you, right? I mean, they, yeah. they live with you. They sleep with you. You walk them. You love them. I mean, I'm- you know, And it's so
1: unconditional yeah. that we get back from them. So, you know, there's articles that have been coming out like crazy lately about how people prefer their pets to other people. And I, I kind of get that, you know you know, if I could just stay home, I, well, number one, the pugs would be very much happier because that is their ultimate goal. I'm pretty sure. But to
2: keep you at home,
1: yes. keep you locked up at home yes, um, to be their servant. It's fine. But, you know, secondly, I think my stress levels would drop. I gotta say as a professor, it is stressful. And, you know, it, I actually had a student tell me the other day, intelligent people don't like to work with others. And I'm like, <laughs> Thank you, I guess. But again, you know, it's that notion of the pet. And so being able to connect and bring them, you know, and have that closeness. Yeah. Uh, and of course, even the idea that the, the grave is a, a portal right, to the other world. Uh, I mean, that dates back to the Greeks, the Romans, the ancient cultures, and even the Celts. I mean, you would find tombs that had animals buried with them. So I can't believe it's taken us 2,000 years to get around to this again, because the animals became your companions in right. their lives. So, were they
2: the protectors in those more ancient graves, or were they companions, or were they both?
1: They it was both, both yeah. And, and usually it was a dog, most yeah. likely, more so than any other animal. but. In part, it's because dogs are are in liminal states. So they sense the other side and, you know, and you find dogs as guardians with Hades, the Zoroastrian bridge to the other world, and um, even Wasedna, the Inuits, right? So they are kind of those guardian figures. But what we're going to do for just a moment is we are going to pause for a commercial break (laughs) because we have one more of those. And then when we get back, we're going to ask you about any animal ghost stories that you might know. All right. We'll be right back after this message.
0: Now time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away.
1: Possum pet party having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit pet party accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes tropical and fireman. a dog's life celebrate it with molly and bandit pet party at molly and bandit slash pet life let's talk pets let's talk pets on pet life radio pet life radio pet life radio.com
0: radio. did you hear that Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host, Brandi Stark. Stark.
1: All right, and welcome back. So, my last question for you. Steve. All right, so do you have any experience or know any stories of animal ghosts?
2: Well, I hope my mother is not going to mind me telling this story. If you do, I'm sorry, Mom. I tell it out of love all right so the the people who i adopted in law school her name was barky and she just you know she didn't just change my life sort of opened me up to all kinds of things but she also changed my whole family this is a long story but for a variety of reasons i ended up moving off to a little tropical island for several years about a year and a half after i graduated law school there was a long quarantine for pets on this island. So I was only supposed to be there for a year in the, in the beginning. And so my parents agreed to look after Barky for a year so that she wouldn't have to go into quarantine. And in any case, I ended up being out there for five and a half years and Barky became the family dog. And Barky just had, you know, the most incredible life living with my parents. I mean, they cooked her meals and mm-hmm. took her every place. And just, she, you know, you've never met a dog who's been loved so much. And Barkie died about five years ago. She got congestive heart failure, and she she had to be euthanized. And I was home with her in Rhode Island. I came home to spend that last time with her, and my parents were there. My brother was living in Turkey at the time. He Skyped in so that he could be there. Yeah, and I mean, we just, everybody loved Barkie so much. My brother actually is now a lawyer for Best Friends Animal Society, so he does animal advocacy too. Wow. Um, anyway, this is, this is all just to say, we we all just love Barkie so much. And after she died, my mother swore she still saw her around the house. She heard her. She, you know, sensed her in Barkie's favorite place. I'm going to cry talking about this. I still miss her so much. <laughs> it it <laughs> such a good it, dog. it does. Yeah. Work. You know, and, and who knows if she was actually there, or if she wasn't. But, you know, Barkie had such a good life living at my parents' place, I wouldn't blame her if she wanted to stick around a little longer.
1: And and again, that's where things get really interesting because I have a paranormal pugs page and, you know, initially it was kind of, it was tongue in cheek. And and in fact, that's how I got this podcast because they interviewed me for this page. But so I, I put up this essay that I theorized, for example, that pugs, you know, would not sense ghosts and, you know, they're artificial (laughs) breed and nobody knows why they're here and, you know, all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, people started sending me stories. Uh, okay, so I revised my essay. <laughs> oh, apparently Pucks Can sense ghosts. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you know, I kind of tie them into the, the idea of a child in many ways that maybe they don't know that they're not supposed to sense them, or maybe there is a little bit of dog left in them, even though we all know they're small, slightly misshapen humans. But after that, I started getting people sending me stories of their pets as ghosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would start getting emails from folks because at that time, I think it was like 2004, and there was... Nothing out. It was brand new concept, really, that people and of course the internet was beginning to spread as well. But I would start getting emails from folks that they were so relieved to have found the website, and they would start sending in stories of their pets not seeing ghosts but coming back. Right. And so uh, I actually started as a a good academic, would particularly because I'm usually more qualitatively trained than quant, but uh, humanities based. You study culture, but you know I kind of started tracking some of these ideas and. Usually when it's a dog, you know, it's somebody that hangs around for a year or two. There are some that have, have lasted longer, but normally I hear that about cats. Mm-hmm. You know, cats, uh, if they show up, they'll be there for six months to a year and then they're out unless they decide to stay forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like one of two things and that's it. But, you know, I would get reports of people hearing the toenails clicking or the collar right. or even feeling somebody brush up against them or hearing them walk down the hall. I mean, it, And it was just so impressive. I mean, it really does show that bond. And heck, man, they're even loyal after they go, which <laughs> yeah. I think is fantastic. So,
2: well, have you studied that at all? Have you gone to investigate whether they're there?
1: We have done a few locations where they're supposed to be haunted by animals. I don't necessarily have the best of luck with it, although people will sense if the animal mm-hmm. is there or not, but it's kind of hard to say, you know, if you're here, can you let us know? Sometimes they will, right. you know, but I can't say, you know, are you a cat? Are you a dog? Right. I mean, and see if that comes right. across, but right. we have been on several cases. For example, there's a place in Gulfport that has Morris, the cat who was a beloved cat who passed away and they actually put a monument up to him. And it said that they would still see, you know, a little, little movement around this I monument. Love that the monument.
2: Cat. That's one of the things that when my husband and I moved to this area from Washington, D.C., we first lived in Gulfport and one of the things that let us know that Gulfport was our place was when we saw that little monument to Morris the Cat, we were like,
1: yeah, I think we'd be happy here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and it's... <laughs> we to do that investigation. Pennsylvania is supposed to be haunted with some cats. I'm trying to think, we've done some cases, and I I will tell you, I have seen one shadow animal, which was kind of weird. Uh, it was kind of a cross between a raccoon and a bobcat, and you're like, okay, but a shadow animal, they're kind of this whole new field that I'm trying to really mm-hmm. research and open up. I honestly think they're probably wild animals crossing mm-hmm. over, but every now and again, we catch a glimpse of them, but they always seem to be moving, and we were Doing this house in temple terrace and we're in the bathroom and i'm i've got my my Sony handycam infrared and all of a sudden i swear to you i saw this thing running straight at me and in fact i was so certain it was coming and i'm looking through the camera you know the screen uh not a lens at that point but that i actually I, i'm putting the camera down to step out of the way and there was nothing there hmm. but it it actually i mean i don't see things i'm not necessarily psychic which is fine but it was actually black with black spots and i don't even know doesn't you know yeah, how is that even possible? So you know I started doing the research there and so it just kind of continues to build. I mean I, I think I have been brushed up against on a, an occasion or two by a cat. you feel the chills on your leg. But really with the amount of stories, there's only three things that could be happening. So either it's a projection element, it's suggestion, or the animal's there. And I'm going to go with C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the animal is there. So, you know, I even had one rat that I saw three times in the week after he died and that was it. But it was enough that I was like, huh. And he was, he was phenomenal. He was one of the best, most personable animals I have, I had ever known. And unfortunately he only made it a year because he had ended up with a tumor. But, you know, they just let you know. Yeah.
2: That's and they said nice wanted totally. to stick around with
1: you. Yeah. And it's funny because they're, they're much cooler about it than we are. Yeah. So, you know, I think we can learn a lot from our pets. So, but anyway, now that we're towards the end of the interview, can you please tell us how folks can order your book?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, Your Robot Dog Will Die is in a lot of different bookstores. So if you have a local bookstore, you can go in and ask for it there. If you prefer online, it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Super easy to find there. Or on IndieBound if you want to find independent bookstores that have it. Yeah, Your Robot Dog Will Die.
1: Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on Paranormal Pets. I'm going to remind all of the listeners out there to please support Rescue. There's Pug Rescue of Florida, there's Rat Rescue of Florida, and there's plenty of rescues out there. So until the next episode, enjoy yourselves and happy haunting.
0: Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected.